Hello, I'm Beatrice Valerie Nero, and you're listening to This is the Voice of the Prophet. I have walked in the office of the prophet since God revealed the anointing he has placed on my life for close to 40 years. This podcast is a new territory that he has assigned me that I pray will be done as God ministers. The purpose of this podcast is to share the word of God in a prophetic way under the anointing of the Holy Ghost as he ministers and speaks to my spirit as to what he would have me to speak to the listeners, you, his sons and daughters. You can help and support this podcast by telling your families, friends, co-workers, church members, and everyone you know about This is the Voice of the Prophet and how easy it is to tune in through any podcast server through this title. I also ask for your prayers. You can reach me with questions and comments by email at amiteagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net. And finally, you can always reach me at my website at www.amiteagle.com. And remember, if for some reason the podcast doesn't come through to you through your text or email or however you're receiving it, you can always reach this is the voice of the prophet on any podcast server. Thank you and God bless you. Now let's get into the word that God has for us for this week. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet, Part 2 of Kizzy. What I thought would be a two-part episode will now be at least three parts and possibly more, so let's get going. So we're talking about the elephant in the room, or maybe I should say the elephant in the church, which is racism. This issue can no longer be ignored and swept under a rug. I don't doubt that many people, as well as churches, will feel that they're just fine, just the way they are. However, if we truly desire to hear our Father's voice, to grow and progress according to his word and will, then we need to see and know all that he wants us to see. In John 9, the man was born blind. Those of us who are born again are totally blind. Born again, but born blind to the truth of God's word concerning racism. In that chapter, instead of the Pharisees being happy and pleased that the man had received his sight, they found reasons to be angry. They brought accusations against Jesus and the miracle he had performed. They gave reasons as to why the man's new sight should not be celebrated and glory given to God for his eyes being opened. Their anger and rage was so great that when the man refused to deny the truth, they threw him out of the temple. Be warned here and now that some of us will be ostracized, excluded, and even disfellowshipped because our eyes are being opened to the truth that cannot be denied. That truth is that there is racism in the body of Christ. This is not just my opinion or what I think. The things I share in each and every episode are only what I hear our Father speaking to my spirit. 
There is continual, and I mean absolutely continual prayer concerning the words that I speak to the sons and daughters of our Father through this podcast. I am as meticulous over these words that I, as I am over the prophetic words that I speak to people individually. I speak these words with love, peace, and joy. Love and peace most can understand, but why joy? Because there is a joy in knowing the truth and wisdom of God. In the book of Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, the people were told not to weep as they heard the word from the book of the law. Nehemiah 8, 10 through 12 reads, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. For me, individually, there is great joy in the truths that God is making known to me. There is a joy in knowing that I'm being set free from the lies and bondages of the true enemy, Satan. I have joy because I know that I'm free from the bondage of white supremacy and racism. I have joy because I know the truth and it brings me joy to share this truth with you. So what is truth? Jesus is truth. And the truth that he is speaking in this hour is that Christianity has been engulfed with racism from the beginning of the Bible under the law. Yet he came to finish, to complete the law. Yes, from the beginning there was racism, and during that time it was against the Jews. For 400 years they remained in captivity and then were freed. However, even after leaving Egypt, there were still racial issues throughout the generations, even until today. The first slave was brought here to America in 1619. In spite of all the years of civil rights movements, freedom marches, and all the rest, it was not until the murder of George Floyd, Rihanna Taylor, and so many others in 2019 that the cries of the people were heard. From 1619 to 2019, there was a span of 400 years. For 400 years, Blacks have remained in captivity, first to slavery, Then Jim Crow laws, and still in this present time, outright racism and prejudice. 400 years. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. But here's another 400 to chew on. There was a span of 400 years of silence in the Bible from Malachi to Matthew, where there was no word given to the prophets by God. Surely there is a new era starting in the body of Christ. Oh yes, I have joy. For years, over and over, white Christians have used the Bible and their doctrines to justify their racism and prejudice. That includes the KKK, the Proud Boys, and just about every radical white supremacist organization that there is. Deceit, guile, and fraudulence in the church has been occurring since its foundation from the white European nations hundreds of years ago, and it was always with the intent of white supremacy. 
The doctrine of discovery was based on this premise. Again, I urge you, if you've never heard of this doctrine, Google it. Do your own research to read it for yourself as to what it states. This is not fake news. This is not a QAnon conspiracy. It's in the history books. You just have to look for it. Just to give you a little of what it states, it says that when lands were discovered by the white Europeans, Columbus, Amerigo Vespucci, among others, according to their law, any lands they came across of people who were non-Christians, the lands were free for them to take. An example, Africa, North America, the Caribbean islands, etc. It was not said that these lands were to be won for Christ with witnessing. No, they were to be taken, stolen, stolen from the indigenous people of the lands and the people themselves enslaved. When the times came that these outward practices were no longer acceptable to society, the supremacists and the church used other purposes in the guise of Christianity to fight the government in order to maintain their standings, not as Christians per se, but as white supreme masters over society. White private Christian schools were opened immediately after integration and grew tremendously. Once the large Pentecostal churches began to integrate in the late 70s and early 80s, integration itself was allowed, but their children were taught that they were not to date or build relationship with the black teenagers who were beginning to attend the services with their parents. Now, how do I know that? Because when I began to attend a very large Pentecostal church on Airline Highway in New Orleans, my teenage son was looking for the class he was supposed to attend. He walked in on the wrong class and heard the instructor saying to the class of young white teens just those words, you are not to date or associate with the Negro teenagers. Of course, I called to speak to someone about it, but my call was never returned. So I didn't return either. So much pain, hurt, and damage has been done to the church until unless we allow God to do the work, it will never be healed. The bottom line is that conversations, not debates, but open, honest conversations, teachings, and lessons must be taught to the body of Christ if racism and prejudice is not only to be removed, but for the healing to take place in the body of Christ. Let me continue with the fact that it cannot be a one-time conference or revival. This cannot be done on a Saturday morning, at an afternoon brunch, or even over a period of three to four days of revival. We all know where those lead, absolutely nowhere. So often when revivals and conferences are held as moving, exciting, and yes, even as real as they are, after a few weeks or a couple of months, they're totally forgotten. The discussion on racism needs to be ongoing. We will all need continual reminders of the issues each race faces on a daily basis and the parts we play in it. We must remember that racism cannot be eradicated in a day or two, and there will be slip-ups. 
But like every sin, it's a sin of flesh where spirits of hatred as well as fear has been instilled, even justifying that hatred and fear on false principles. Racism is a subvert hatred, a sin that must be dealt with head on, confronted and called out for what it is. It is the absolute opposite of the fruit of the spirit, which is love. One of my spiritual sons, whom I love dearly, sent me a podcast with, I think, at least four white people sharing their Christian experiences. One of the young people said, we need to go to the altar with our racism the same way we go when getting saved. He then began to repeat the sinner's prayer with a few changes. Normally, when leading someone in the sinner's prayer, we say words similar to, Lord, I come to you. I'm a sinner, and go on from there. The altered rendition went something like, Lord, I come to you, I'm a racist. Unfortunately, so many equate racism or being a racist with their own feelings and emotions, justifying them as right and just the way life is while refusing to name it or call it what it is, again, which is racism. This is because everyone they know believes like them. How can we know what others feel or believe if we aren't listening to them as they hurt? How can we know if we're not relating to them on a daily basis? We're not talking about a hug on Sundays, but people of other races being a part of our lives in some way or another. It could be as simple as just listening to what they say about their everyday life as to how and why it's so different from yours. And even while listening, not judging. Again, in that same podcast, one of the commenters said, if you're going to Facebook, Twitter, or some other social media to define or understand racism, then you'll never see yourself for who you are. Why not? Because your friends, family, and whoever else is part of your Facebook page are there because for the most part, you all think alike. Listen to these stats. Non-Christian whites are closer in view with blacks than Christian whites. 25% of white Christians say that black murders by white police were just. 75% of whites have not one other color or race in their relationships. Of course, if there's one who doesn't agree with you or everyone else on your Facebook page, if there's someone who's saying things that makes you uncomfortable, all you have to do is unfriend or block them. That works for some things, but when wanting to face the truth, it's not the best way to go. Ask God and the Holy Ghost to reveal to you what he wants you to see. Ask him to show you, you, the way he sees you and not as you see yourself. Now, let me say, before you ask, be sure that you're ready to see what he's going to show you for two reasons. One, it will never be what or the way we think it is. And two, it's definitely going to shake you up. What is racism? 
Well, quite easily, the dictionary defines race, racism as prejudice, discrimination, and antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority. Wikipedia explains that racism can also be said to describe a condition in society in which a dominant racial group benefits, I'll say it again, benefits from the oppression of others, whether that group wants such benefits or not. Hence comes the understanding as well as the acceptance of white privilege. Many, even without being aware of it, have neither asked nor expected to have benefited from the oppression of others through white privilege. But yet, simply because they're white, that privilege is theirs. The person that got the job because they were white and not necessarily more qualified. The person that got the house from the mortgage company, not because they had the best credit, but were white. The college applicant that got in not on grades, but on skin colors. The precedent goes on and on, but I'm sure you understand what's being said. All of this is racism and it needs to not only be called out, but removed from our hearts, spirits, society, and churches. In my first year of Bible college, there was a course everyone had to take called Basic Evangelism. It was an easy class for me since I had already implemented many of the things that were being taught through the small inner city church my husband and I pastored. For one assignment, there was a mock salvation run. We were given a prototype for salvation and had to proceed in the way that we would actually witness to the person in need of salvation. I loved it, but some actually found it a little difficult. However, we were all able to complete the mock assignment given to us and were all prepared to go out, especially during the Mardi Gras season, down into the French quarters of New Orleans. I remember distinctly during that class, our professor saying to us, and when you're out witnessing, don't just go to black people. It's something that I have seen throughout my Christian life. On the occasion that someone is on the street trying to win a soul, the majority of the times, whites will want to go into the black neighborhoods to witness. That's for more than one reason. One, because they look down on blacks, not seeing them as equals. Therefore, they're more comfortable with approaching them. There are so many who are so proud of those that they have led in the quote-unquote sinner's prayer. It was so easy for them to go into that black neighborhood, go up to that black man or black woman and pray for them to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then walk off and totally forget about them, actually believing that their hatred and racism toward them is overlooked by God because they led them in the sinner's prayer. Or if by chance they do invite them to their church, it will merely be for the sake of bragging rights or to add to the numbers. But it's never to really see to it that they not only said the sinner's prayer, but understand the walk of salvation. 
It was never for that individual to be on the same spiritual level with them and definitely not on the same social level. We're not talking about BFFs or shopping partners. We're just talking about someone in another person's life that's of a different race, just for the sake of knowing them, just for the sake of understanding racism and prejudice. Another reason I believe that many whites are more willing to witness to blacks on the street, it's because it assages their guilt. The same reason that so many whites will go to Africa for missions. It's about tempering the guilt that they have over the treatments of black here in the United States of America. Again, let me say that this is obviously not for all missionaries, but I do believe for many. For many of them, it gives them a false sense of pride in being able to say, I went to Africa on a mission trip. It allows for one to feel less conviction concerning their racism here in the States. They can then use that mission trip to justify that they're not racist. If they went to Africa on a mission trip, surely they can't be racist. If they send money and give support to missionaries in Africa, surely that means they're not racist. We have been so indoctrinated by these performances until we actually believe them. I believe another reason that many whites are more willing to witness to blacks is because they inherently see black people as evil. The color black has always been associated with evil and wickedness. The bad cowboy always wore the black hat while the good cowboy wore the white one. The evil witch is always in black and so on and so on. I remember sharing with you on an earlier podcast about a white woman who didn't like something that I had stated in that episode. She said to me, you'd better be careful that your heart doesn't become as black as your skin. How dare someone use my skin or anyone's skin because it's black to compare to something evil. But this is part of the indoctrination that has gone on for centuries. It's always been put into the minds and spirits of people that black people are bad, evil, wrong, corrupt, and without characters, moral, or honor. More indoctrination of racism comes in the books we would read as children. As a child coming up, I went to Catholic school every day. Every day without exception, we were taught catechism from our catechism books, our Bible history books, and we prayed. However, there were no pictures of black kids in the primary books. And of course, every picture of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, all of the disciples, Adam and Eve, and everyone else was a white, blue-eyed blonde. And all of these things were just taken for granted that that was the way it was supposed to be. Years ago, when my husband and I started our little inner city church in New Orleans, I went to a very well-known Christian bookstore on the west bank of the city to purchase books for my Sunday school. I had several of the members with me from the church, all of whom were black. When I asked the salesman 
for what he had and what he would recommend for our inner city church Sunday school lessons, he was very kind and helpful. He said, I know exactly what you need. He went into the storeroom and brought out several books from different companies, every one of them with white faces. I simply responded, I want something showing people with nappy hair, thick lips, and black skin. He immediately flushed and said, oh, I never heard it quite put that way before. He then went back and brought out books by the company Urban Ministries. Not one of the members of our little church had ever seen books, Christian Sunday school books, with pictures and lessons directly geared to and written for blacks. I'm not saying that they weren't any. It was just that they had never seen them. It's no wonder that many young black people will say that Jesus is the white man's savior. As a young friend of mine recently reminded me of the phrase so many of the next generations of blacks are using, that white man's religion. Is it because they're angry or racist? No, but because young people, white as well as black, realize that religion slash Christianity has been geared to moralize, protect, and preserve the white man's place, power, and supremacy in society. Next Monday, we'll be going into Kizzy, part three. I pray that this episode has been enlightening to each of you, and I pray that you will share it with others encouraging your church members, families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to listen to the podcast, This is the Voice of the Prophet, on any podcast server. Until next Monday, remember that I am praying for each and every person who listens, asking our Father's blessings and favor upon you. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you so much for listening.